you have your Bibles tonight, find Luke 18. Luke 18. I've been debating all day whether y'all tough enough for me to tell you my all-time favorite story. It's just, it's true, and sometimes them true stories hurt folks because they land too close to home, you know what I mean? Y'all tough enough to handle it? All right, then, and stuff. Uh-huh. Told y'all I like open kettle, didn't I? I went down to open kettle today. Yeah. Told them I'd been giving commercials. Wanted that T-shirt. Went over to Granddaddy's place tonight, and they gave me the T-shirt. <laughs> I ought to brag on them a little bit. Well, look here. Went into uh, this happened at Open Kettle, and you know some things just you can't make them up. But this uh, this guy come come rolling up the sidewalk there, and it, Open Kettle's not exactly handicap accessible. Not not exactly. It's, you can get somebody in there, but. He was in a wheelchair, and somebody had to hold the door and help him get over the little ledge, and, and he came in there, and, you know, he had to make some room for him to sit, and he looked, and he said, and, and you know, he says, uh, he's, a, he's from England. We noticed it right away. Had that kind of, that accent, you know. He says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, madam, is that Jesus over there in the corner? And she said, yes, sir, it is. He says, well, send him a spot of tea, my compliments. And she said, yes, sir. And she Took you right over to it. A little while later, a little man bent over. He couldn't get himself straight, you know. Walking, bent over. He, he comes into the open kettle there and opens the door and looking around for a place to sit. And he says, he's a funny man too. Had a weird accent. He says, aye, lassie, is that Jesus there in the corner? She said, yes, sir, it is. Send him a bit of coffee on me, my compliments. Thank you, thank you. So she took some coffee over to Jesus. Pretty soon, old boy came in. He was limping and all messed up, you know, and he had a funny accent. Might have been from around McGee's Mill or something. <laughs> he walked in and he looked at her. He says, hey, gal, is that Jesus right yonder? She says, sure is. I seen that boy at Mountain Dew. <laughs> Tell him I said, hey. He'll know who you mean. And so that fella sat down, and pretty soon I, Jesus was full. He had to go. He got up, and he went over to the man that was in the wheelchair and laid his hands on him. He says, for your kindness, you are healed. And that man jumped out of that wheelchair, went down the sidewalk doing back to twister flippers, <laughs> praising God. He went over to that next guy who was all bent over. He says, for your kindness, you are healed. That man straightened up, back popped, sound like Chinese fireworks going off. He started jumping up and down and praising God. He went over toward that hillbilly guy. He went to lay hands on him, and that old guy says, hold up, Jesus. I'm drawing disability. <laughs> So if you draw in disability, it's just a joke. Get over it. <laughs> Good gravy. 
Good gravy. Somebody always tells me, I don't care how many times I say it's a joke, somebody come up after us. Some people need disability. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. But you know, I always like that story because it's funny, but there's just a pound of truth in the middle of it. Some of us, we like Jesus, big fans. Love him. Give him some stuff. Here, Jesus, have some stuff. But we don't want him messing with us too much because he might straighten out some deal that'll mess up some other deal. And so a lot of times, man, it's tough coming to these revival services because it's like old C.S. Lewis said about his mama wanting to send him to the dentist. He just wanted that dentist to get that one tooth to stop hurting, and the dentist wanted to get in there and look at all them teeth. A lot of times we want Jesus to touch that one thing, but don't meddle too deep. Don't get in my business. Don't interrupt my weekends. Don't change my relationships. Because I'm working off something over here, and I don't want you meddling in that. My dad, and uh, you can, you know my dad, and I know Wiley Gentry's here. He knows my dad. If you run into him, you can tell him I told this on him. I don't care. He can't catch me no more. <laughs> he has one of them little scooters, and he forgets to charge it up. He's going to start. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You can tell him I said that, too. Always threatening me with a knife. Man, get out of here. You can't catch me. You can't cut me. Anyhow, my daddy, I've gone with him to the doctor so many times. It's a true story. And the doctor, he likes diet Pepsis, and he chews chewing tobacco, and he's got diabetes. And I don't know if you know it, but tobacco's full of sugar. Now, that man's about 112 years old, and I've been his son my whole life. I ain't getting in his affairs. I always say, that's between you and Jesus, daddy. I got a feeling Jesus is going to have the last say, so you might all listen up. But the doctor started telling him something like, you need to get off that chewing box. It's messing your sugar up. And he'd say, hey, boy, you done quit doctoring and went to meddling. <laughs> it'll, it'll switch him over to a lady doctor, and he'll say to her, how old is you anyway? And the woman's got to be 45, but daddy swells up. Now she's about 18. Still got them dots on her face. What you call them? Zits. <laughs> I wish they'd so, you know, prescribe a muzzle to him. Anyway, um, I think sometimes we, we, we just want somebody to fix what we won't fix, but God wants to bring wholeness to our life. Who heard me? Amen. Who heard me? And I want to be transparent with you for a minute. Now, you know, I go over here to Belks because they got a big man section, and I'm a big man. But if you think I enjoy being overweight, you're sadly mistaken. I struggle with it. I struggle with it, and I want Jesus to touch it. I'm serious now. Y'all laugh. You say, man, people in the world got bigger problems than that. I, I know, but I've had seven knee surgeries and two back surgeries. This old belly talks to me. It speaks around my waist and hollers down around my knees. It's serious. And I just pray, God, touch me, touch me. But you watch me order a Mountain Dew. That's called idiocy and hypocrisy in the middle of the same thing. So I want God to do all the work. I don't want to meet him in it. I want him to change something. But I, I a lot of times, ain't, ain't willing to meet him in the middle of that. And it's tough. Folks ask me, Brother Herbert, a lot of times, say, how are you today? And you wonder, do you really want me to answer? So I told him, I tell him the 100% truth. God is good and I'm full of sin and I'm stuck right there between them until I get to glory. That's the truth. How am I today? 
I'm a man of flesh filled with temptation, but the good Lord's chasing me so very hard. That's how I am. He's after me. He loves me. He's pursuing me. He's constantly calling me to come here. Come here, Tim. Come here, and I'll give you rest. So you don't be afraid of a single thing God tells you tonight. Even if he messes up some other deal, getting that deal straight, trust him to get it all right. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 18, um, what will be a familiar story, and um, it's, I always want to issue this warning. Don't let the familiarity of the story let you miss how powerful it still is. Chapter 18, verse 18, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Let's pray. Lord, we know that the work of the Holy Spirit is to convince us of righteousness and convict us of sin. We know the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring the Word into our lives and wash us with it. We know the work of the Holy Spirit is to drag us over to Jesus that we might have deeper relationship with Him and further appreciate the access He gives us to the Father. We know the work of the Spirit, but Lord, let us welcome the work of the Spirit. In every seat, in every pew, Lord, open every ear Mine included, if it's stopped up with wax, then God cleanse us. Pluck the wax out, pull it out, scrub it out, do violence to it. That we may come under the word of God in both hearing and doing. That what the Holy Spirit speaks, our spirit receives. And we become different people because we've met with you. In Jesus I pray, amen. I love this story. This passage is troubling, and I like to be troubled. You know, I do. Nothing doesn't move unless you trouble it. You ever thought about that? Nothing moves unless you trouble it. I always thought it was strange. You know, we we grew up where everything we owned, you had to work on it all the time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And if it had a clutch in it, at some point we was pushing it somewhere, you know, and trying to get it to start. These men know what I'm talking about. But it always got me, you know. We'd be behind the thing, pushing it, and my daddy would be in it, calling, put your back into it. I'm like, I already got every bit of me into it. Or I mean, do you, did my back leave? Can we go get it and bring it over here? Put your back into it. 
Sometimes it's, it's good to be troubled. Something's got to move. Something's got to be shaken. Something's got to be touched. Something's got to be rattled. Something's got to be bothered. And so this passage is troubling. It seems like Jesus just kind of is radical right here. He, he says some stuff that's kind of too hard for us. And they got it. They got that it was hard. The, the disciples said, well, man, can anybody be saved? Is there hope for anybody? You know why they said that? Because they're sitting there looking at a real good man who had some real big questions. And he didn't like Jesus' answers. Let me tell you a little bit about this rich young ruler. You really need to read his story all across the three synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us some facts about him. We see in the first verse that we read in chapter 18, verse 18, that he was a ruler. And the word translated, not that I'm some Greek scholar or something, I even a, I'm not even an English speaker, not less a Greek scholar. But the Greek word here is interesting. It's translated as someone who has administrative authority. It makes the old boy sound like a politician. And I don't know about y'all, but I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a politician. I'd rather have a rusted bag of bolts and nuts than half a politician. But he's probably, and it doesn't really tell us, but he's probably a church authority. Worst politicians in the world is the ones in the church. Mm-hmm. Anybody said amen, didn't they? I know what you're doing. You're sitting there thinking, yeah, I know one, but you ain't looking in the mirror when you say it. Back off, Jesus, I'm drawing disability. <laughs> in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 22, we, we learn not only that he's a, a ruler, but that he's a young man. Now, young man in that time could probably mean that he was somewhere between 25 and 40. Who do we have here in that age range? All right, rest of y'all is old. Don't be mad. Okay, it's all right with me. If I, if I, y'all think that I've really offended everybody yet? I mean, I've been working hard at that. If you go back to Luke 18, verse 23 gives you a real big hint about this fella. It says he's extremely rich, very wealthy. Isn't that something? A, a man of great wealth, one translation says. Wealth, and, and again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but that word is interesting because it, it doesn't mean, you know, like a lot of people say, I'm rich, just not in things. You ever said that? I have. Every time I look at my family, I will tell you, if, 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 you know, I'm one of the richest men in the world. If you could translate them into money, nobody tops me. But they're literally talking about money here. I mean, he was bad to the bone. This man had cash. I don't know if he was like Bill Cake, Gates or not, you know. I like the way the young people talk about rich. They'll say somebody's caking. I couldn't figure out what that meant for a long time. It just meant their money had layers, they, like a cake. And so I tell them boys all the time, we'll go to McDonald's. I take some of these young bucks to McDonald's, and you think I'm taking them out to the steakhouse, and, and I'll pull my money out, and it'll be like $18, and we're ordering stuff from the, 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 the dollar menu and stuff. And one of them boys will say, Tim, you caking. I say, like Duncan Hines, boy. 
It's easy to feel rich with poor people. But the language here, the original languages really do indicate that this man is extremely wealthy. I don't want to belabor that point, but I want you to see something here. See, there's a danger in American culture, in more so than any other place I've been, and I've been to several continents. I'd have to sit down and count up the countries I've been to. I really would. I really like Latin America. I like the spirit of folks in Latin America. I really do. But in more than in any other place in America, we tend to evaluate or determine our importance based on our stuff. But what do you see in this man's life? He's got stuff, but he ain't happy. There's big questions looming in his life. Per capita, the highest rate of suicide is among rich white men. Per capita. Because it ain't, it ain't as many of them as you think, but a lot of them seem to not like themselves. I know everybody's sitting here going, well, you ain't got to worry about me. I got the white, but you ain't got to worry about the rich. And you know what else you notice here? The, the man is dressed in fine robes, Right? He, he, he has a, a nice outfit, but what does he do? He runs and falls down on the ground at Jesus' feet. Isn't that interesting? Now, I used to shop at Walmart until, well, they ain't big enough for me no more. And I still don't want to run and fall down on the ground at somebody. I mean, it just tells you something about the guy. He's got money. He's got status and position. He has success, and he's still young. But he knows something is missing in his life. Now, here's where I'll give this guy a wonderful compliment. Here it is. What did he do when he had want in his life? He ran to Jesus. How about you, church? What do you do when you feel like something is missing? Let me give you a little bit of my testimony. I didn't even know this was happening until after it was over. Anybody know what I mean? You ain't smart enough to see what's going on until it's finished. But I grew up kind of with that, I, I call it an outcha mentality. Whatever it was, I wanted to outdo you. If, if it was fighting, I wanted to outfight you. If it was working, I want to outwork you. If you picked up something that weighed 100 pounds, I'd be looking for something we didn't even need to weigh 200 pounds. On the softball field, I wanted to outplay you, and if I wasn't as good as you, I'd be meaner than you. When it came to cussing, I'd want to outcuss you, outdrink you, just whatever it was. I didn't even realize what was going on at that time, as I was so desperate for fulfillment that I thought if I just kept striving to be the best at whatever, that one of those things would fill me up, or maybe two or three of them put together. And I'd accomplish things. I'd become a, 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 a supervisor or a foreman at work, and it'd still be a hole in my heart. Win a state championship playing softball, still be a hole in my heart. I'd go looking for the meanest dude in the baddest bar with the worst breath. I'd brave the breath and whoop the man and still have a hole in my heart. I drank everything in sight until every store closed and still have a hole in my heart. 
I didn't have great wealth, but I had a pursuit of life. And no matter how much of it I got, I still felt empty so I can relate to this man. I've had people tell me before, you wouldn't want to be rich. I say, shoot, I'd like to try. Amen. I know y'all are too polite, but you're going to me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this guy had that. He had it, but something else was missing. Something else was missing. Let me tell you how a lot of people begin to treat this in their life. They're married. But the woman who one time used to turn them upside down, all of a sudden ain't enough no more. Oh, it's quiet in here. I don't forgot who had the song, but they was right. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. Who sang it? Y'all know? What? Who? <laughs> Johnny Williams. He was like he was ashamed. Don't tell him I listen to country music. Don Williams. Okay. That man was right. And it's not always a woman. Sometimes it's success in our workplace. We're not getting what we want anywhere else, so we pursue it there, and we come home later and later, and we work more hours, and we find more excuses to go in and less reasons to come home. We find more things that take us away from the body of Christ and the pursuit of the kingdom because we're out there looking for something. Sometimes it's vacation home. Sometimes it's just that getaway thing where we're always looking for something that'll make me feel better. Let me find something to run to because I got to run away. Let me find something to do because I got to get full. This guy had everything, but what did he come to Jesus looking for? Jesus, tell me what am I missing? My grandma told me when I was eight years old, she used to dip snuff. Any of y'all have any of them grandmas dip snuff? Yeah, man, them snuff dipping kisses was rough. It, I don't care, it's nasty. Anyway, she was, my grandma was pretty level-headed. You know how you could tell? Because her snuff dripped down both sides. <laughs> if your grandma won't level-headed, it just... <laughs> yeah, man. She had a big silver spoon. I always thought it was ironic. It was the only silver spoon out of all of her cutlery, and she used it to put the snuff in her mouth. You know, stainless steel to eat steak with, but here, let me get the snuff with the silver. But she, she would uh, teach Sunday school, and I told y'all, if I got trapped at her house, I was going to church. And every time, she wasn't about four foot, one inch. I don't know. She was small. Maybe she was a dwarf or something. I'm not sure. She's pretty magical, so it's possible. But she would get down there with every little kid. She talked to little kids. She liked them little children. She had 40 grandchildren. She had to like them. She'd get down there and she'd grab us by the lobe of our ears and kiss our face. And she'd say, you got a God-sized hole in your heart and God's the only thing's going to fill it up. I always heard that and I always remembered it, but I failed to believe it for years especially those teenage years and into my early 20s where I pursued life with such passion because I just felt like I wanted to pour everything into this hole. Something had to stop this hole up. Something did. I remember job jumping. Any of, you, any of y'all ever done that? You always believed the next job was going to be the job you was happy with? Maybe y'all didn't do that, but I did. 
I, I, exact same job, but because it had 50 cent more. Exact same job, same pay, but they gave me a title over here. Does anybody get where I'm coming from? Am I the only honest man in the room? I mean, I begin to wonder. You ever been there? So we can, we, I can identify with this man. I can really identify with him, but he had a question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And maybe that's not your question tonight. Maybe your question is, Jesus, what can I do to live in the fullness of the eternal life you've given me? It's a hard thing to admit that however you walking with Jesus ain't satisfying to you right now. But maybe that needs to be your simple confession on your knees tonight. God, I don't know where I went wrong, but help me. Help me come back to you. Or maybe you say, well, I ain't all that bad. Hey, listen, if you're involved with Jesus, he's dynamic. That's God you're messing with. The Holy Spirit is God. And you can, you can be a grass cutter. You can be a landscaper and have a dynamic, passionate relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have that, I, I, mm, well, I question whether you're walking with him. Really? Because this is God. It's no trifling little statue that some man can knock over and some other man has to stand up. It's just God. So maybe your question tonight isn't, how do I inherit eternal life? Maybe your question is, how can this eternal life you've already given me that I know I have? I know I got it. I know you was faithful, and I know I was sincere. How do I appreciate it? Maybe that's your question. I believe the way Jesus engages this man is very helpful to anybody tonight. Regardless of whether your question is, how do I get eternal life, or how do I enjoy it? It's, it, is, it is a question that fits all of us. If you'll notice in chapter eight, uh, 18, verses 18, and then we didn't read that far, but in chapter 18, verse 30, it talks about eternal life. In chapter 18, verse 22, it talks about treasure in heaven. In chapter 18, verses 24 and 29, it talks about entering the kingdom of God. In chapter 18, verse 26, it talks about being saved. In other words, this is a big subject in a short conversation. It's important. It's something worth settling. This man's got everything that I can see, but he's got that one thing missing that no eye can see but the eye of God. But isn't it interesting how he approached Jesus? What did he call him? Good teacher. And I'm sure over the 117 years Herbert's been here, <laughs> since his last sabbatical. Um, and by the way, he, if you have, I don't know, Herbert, I don't know this. Have you ever given your pastor a sabbatical? You ought to. That's just a free sermon. My, the board of directors at You for Christ has demanded I take one. This is my seventh year. They said, you've done so good for these past seven years. Recharge your battery so we got you for another seven. That's a free sermon, I'm just saying. Herbert, you going to buy me lunch tomorrow? I mean, right? That's a conversation y'all need to have. Anyway. I'm sure Herbert has preached on this, has taught on this, but it's interesting. 
what he says to him. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know, what he's asking him is, do you know who you're dealing with? And friends, I want to ask you tonight, do you know who you're dealing with? It's real typical of us to be fans of Jesus. But it's also real typical, typical of us to miss exactly who he is. He's not just some quaint teacher. Amen? Not just some nice guy who said funny stuff. I've the needle bit. Way to go, Jesus. He's more than that. This is God. This is God. Amen? Colossians chapter 1 says he is preeminent above everything. The Bible teaches us that before the foundation of the earth, before he made anything, God had already saw that he wanted fellowship with man, that man would sin and break that fellowship, and that he would be the only one to cure that broken fellowship, and he already planned to send his son before the foundation of the earth. This is God. So when we call on the name of Jesus, by the way, the Bible says there's no other name given among men whereby what, church? You might be saved. When we call on the name of Jesus, who do we call on? We call on God because nobody's good but God. So this guy's up to something. He don't even know exactly himself who he's dealing with. Who remembers the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4? Anybody remember that story? I love that story. She, when, when, when she realizes who she's dealing with, she runs back to the town. My goodness, it'd be funny to see all y'all running back up to Roxboro. We have to call an ambulance for some of y'all got to Roxdale place down there. <laughs> you, you know why she ran to town? You know what she told the folks in town? Come and meet the man who told me everything about myself. See, this old boy, he comes up to Jesus. He don't know he's dealing with. He's dealing with God. He's going to ask him a question, and he's got a problem, and Jesus already sees perfectly into the problem. As a pastor, I can't tell you how many times people say this phrase to me, you just don't understand. And you know what? I might not. You know, what did they say about them old boys from Nazareth? Does anything good come from Nazareth, right? I'm probably one of those kind of guys. Does anything good come from over that way? You're right. I, I, I might not understand, but I'm going to tell you something. God always understands. Always understands. He knows the depth of your personal problems. He knows the complexity of your family problems. He knows the deep history of some of your problems. He knows the root when you can't do nothing but see the fruit. He didn't know who he was dealing with. And I want to tell you, when you come to Jesus tonight, woo, he knows your mess. I love that word confession in the Greek, homologeo. It's one of the ones I learned how to say right, so I try to whip it out every chance I get. <laughs> Half of them I still can't say. Took four semesters of Greek and can't talk English. I spent a lot of money. I got to brag on myself. Anyway, homologeo, homo, same as, homogenous milk, milk that has been brought to the jug by a standard, homo, right? Legeo, two phrases jammed together to say the same words. The word we translate into English as confession is a phrase that means to say the same words as. By the time you got sense enough to confess something to God, what you're doing is saying what he's already told your spirit to say. You're just agreeing with him. 
Why am I beating on this? Because I want you in your house tonight, maybe in your car, in that parking lot, in that pew at this altar. I don't care. I want whatever question the Holy Spirit provokes in you to know that God already knows it. He's giving you the question. He's showing you the answer. He knows the problem before you ever lived it. He knew about it. And it's okay to bring it to God. It's okay to bring it to God. And whatever kind of deep-rooted mess you got going on in your life, if you're like me, I'm 40 years old. I spent 25 years running with the devil, and I've only been walking with Jesus for 15 years. It took me 25 years to get into some of this mess, and I don't expect it all to unfurl in 15 years. But praise God, I got a bunch of victory between now and then. Amen? Amen. And I know I can't fool Jesus. That's why this is so monumental to understand. Good teacher, why do you call me good? Why, why do you call me good? If you think back to that story of the woman at the well, well you remember what Jesus said to her? He says, and I'm going to put it in the vernacular if you'll allow me. I'm going to country it up. He said, lady, if you knew who you was talking to, you'd change what you're talking about. He says, if you knew who asked you for water. Man, don't you know that if God convinces you of righteousness sitting in that pew or convicts you of sin sitting in this pew, that that's God himself stooping down from heaven to touch you personally? If he points out to you some altar that you have built in place of him, that's God personally. That's God himself. God, a very God, has stooped down to bless you. That's why I don't run from conviction. It scares me. It hurts me. It's painful. But this is God coming to Timbo's. Youth pastors sometimes can get a tough break. Did y'all know that? Well, none of y'all confess it, but you know it. I was the first hired gun youth pastor that Bears Grove Church ever had. And they gave me an office. I was so tickled to have an office. When I was a little boy, one time we got a brand new uh, washing machine, and you get the big boxes. Sometimes Ronnie ought to just come over there sometimes and get me some of these boxes. It was nicer than our mobile home. If they'd have put central air in that box, I'd have moved in. <laughs> but I got that box one time, and, and my, my cousin come over and says, what are you doing? I didn't set up an office in the box. <laughs> yeah, I always wanted an office. I did. He said, what are you doing? I said, hey, I'm in charge of stuff, man. I'm running stuff. I got me an office. So he sent me on some wild goose chase. He was smarter than me. He was a year older, and he chewed plug tobacco. He was tough. I come back, and he done got my office. He done cut it, cut it open and flayed it out. And I said, what are you doing? He said, you ever heard of a hostile takeover? <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. I hadn't heard of it, but yeah, man, over to Bears Grove, and they gave me an office. It was a real office, and I just, I was so excited. I went over to the flea marketplace and bought me a $5 desk. 
I ain't making this up. And, and I didn't have a computer, and I was convinced you needed a computer. So I got me a broken laptop, and I just set it on my desk. I just, I mean, I had been turning nuts and bolts over at Heiko just a, just a few weeks before. And they were sending these kids to me. And these kids had these complicated problems and complex family situations. And they'd come in there and I would type on his broken laptop. Uh-huh. <laughs> Y'all think I'm making this up. I wanted them to think they didn't got somebody sharp. <laughs> I was like a brand new crayon out the box, man. <laughs> And you know what? And this ain't to brag on me. They tell me stuff, and I'd just sit in my office and cry after they left. And I'd say, God, I don't know what to tell them. I don't know. I read my Bible every day. But here I was just a few years ago. I was a drunk and a dope addict and a brawler and a promiscuous man driven by my pride and everything I'd done. And here's this kid telling me that his daddy's slapping his mama. What do I tell him? Go pray about it. You know what that is, don't you? That's pious hogwash. I didn't know nothing to do but to cry and pray and ask God. And you know what God showed my spirit? He says, I know every one of them. I know every problem. I knew his great granddaddy's problem. You just keep putting them to me and I'll help them. I know, I know everything they've ever done. I know them. Push them to me. Push them to me. And you say, well, Tim... Maybe you're treating us like you did them children. Yes, because I'm still just a broken man in need of a good Savior, and I don't have all the answers. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to push you to Jesus because he knows you. I don't know what you're going through, but he already knows. This old boy here in this story, this is a true story. He had everything, but there's still a hole in his heart, wasn't it, y'all? And I don't know about you. But sometimes when I least expect it, that broken boy uh, that for 25 years just kept being a broken boy still shows up. And I don't even have answers for myself. But I know one thing, I run to Jesus. I run to Jesus and I wait and I trust. And I do every little thing he shows me to do. And that's all I know to do. And you say, Tim, well, your faith is so simple. We ought not let you be preaching. Maybe not but I believe he'll work. I was working over at Rome part-time. Any, any of you fine folks remember Marvin Bowling? Tell me you knew that, brother. I was working day shift over to the power plant, night shift over at Bromo. He'd come over out one day, and Marvin could twitch on you. He'd put his hands on his belt, and he twitching around. I couldn't figure out what he was thinking. I, I told some of the boys at work that I'd been saved, but Marvin was on day shift. He was staying late that night to make sure some work got done. And I was laying on the floor. My body and my mind was saying, just go take a drink. Yeah, just go take a drink. And I was sweating and crying. Still had my welding hood on it. Peeled the thing back here like this and was laid flat on the floor. Had still had my welding lead in my hand. And all I could think to say, and I couldn't think of nothing else to say, was Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
And I don't know if I was there for 10 Jesuses or 1,000 Jesuses, but all I knew to say was Jesus. And when I finally looked up, I stood Marvin twitching. He said, what are you doing? Because I'm supposed to be working, you know, and I'm, I'm laying in the floor. Look like I done had some kind of fit. And I had a horrible debate in that moment. Anybody ever been there? Do I tell what I, do I really tell what I'm thinking? You know, I didn't really need the job, but I wanted it because if I wasn't working, I was fighting worse. So I told him. Old Marvin reached over, put his hand on my shoulder, tears rolling down his cheeks. He said, you lay on back down now till it's time to go home if you need to. He said, man, if that's the best advice you got for me, come on, you got to do better. I can't do no better than to tell you to call on Jesus. Maybe you need to lay at your house tonight and sweat and cry all night and then all day tomorrow and sweat and cry and pray all day tomorrow and into the night and into the next day. But you keep calling on Jesus and Jesus will come running. He will break you. He will shake you. He will mold you and he will make you. And that's my Jesus. This interview with this young, rich young ruler sounds a lot like Nicodemus the other morning, doesn't it? He wanted to talk to Jesus, and, and he does talk to Jesus. So what does he tell this rich young ruler? Why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. He says, you know all the commandments, amen, you know all of them. Did anybody notice in the first reading what commandment Jesus left out or what commandments? He didn't even mention one through four of the top ten, amen, top ten. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou will not make an idol out of anything. You will not use my name in vain. Or you remember the Lord's name is holy. Keep the Sabbath day. He didn't even mention those. You know what those four commandments are about? They're about man's governing relationship with God. All he dealt with was the easy thing. He said, let me ask you about how your dealings with men have been. He says, you know the commandments. And he goes on and gives him five of those bottom six. Did you notice them? Did you notice which one was missing? He says to him, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And look at what this goody two-shoes boy says. I've been doing that all my life. Let me talk to your church member. Maybe you've been doing this stuff all your life. And you still feel that hole. Come on now. Holy Spirit's preaching to somebody. What did he leave out? He left out, thou shalt not covet. And then what does he tell him you need to do? Sell everything you got. Why does Jesus tell him to do that? Does that mean all y'all need to go sell everything you got? No, maybe you're that one. Maybe you're that one who doesn't honor your mom and dad. Maybe you're that one that mouth is full of gossip that is just, just bleeds and soaks lies by innuendo. Maybe you're that one who is a thief. You say, I wouldn't steal nothing. Do you report everything on your taxes? Do you give all your tithes and offerings? That's the Old Testament stuff. Good, because New Testament said give it all. I'm meddling now, ain't I? See, the thing is, you don't have to have the same problem this rich young ruler did. 
God knows your burdens. Yes, God also knows your sin. There's no thing hidden from his all-searching eye. I preached this sermon one time, and I, I like to give my, title, my sermons titles, and I'll never get to tell them nobody. It really disappoints me. But I preached this sermon one time, and the name of it was, What's Your Problem? My favorite tithing ser- sermon was, the title of it was, I've up my tithe now, up yours. <laughs> I didn't preach that one because once I read over it, I said, that ain't right. So, <laughs> that did not come like I meant it. It was supposed to be like, I'm challenging you to give more, but it just didn't come out right. So the man has a heart issue, and Jesus challenges him with a hand action. You know what some of y'all suffer from? Because there's some in every crowd. Some of y'all's heart problem is you're so full of pride, you never want nobody in this church to know how broken you are on the inside. And that's your hard problem and your hand action is you need to come down here and confess your sins before this body that somebody might see that God is alive and he's working in your life. I'm going to fast forward. I can't see that clock. Praise God, it's a glare on it. It don't bother me. I didn't even know it was back at the last night. Now I've been staring at the cotton picking thing. Can't read it. Now, what does Jesus really want him to do? The second part of verse 22 gives you that answer. What Jesus really wanted this man to do was deal with his problem and come and follow me. Now, you might be that person who's never surrendered your life to Jesus. I'm going to tell you what, the the gateway to heaven, peace with the Father, access to the Father, the gifts of God all come through Jesus. And maybe what you need to hear is how to inherit, inherit eternal life. It comes through Jesus. But believer, it's some encouragement for you too. The power being blocked in your life may be disobedience. It may be pride. It may be sin. It may be that you just won't lay a burden down. I don't know what it is. But we know what God wants for every believer is to follow Jesus. Amen, church. Now, let me tell you something real quick. You know what the role of every, the top priority of every Jesus is, I mean, every believer is, is to be a worshiper of God. If you're a man and you're married, your second priority is to love your wife like Christ loved the church. If you're a woman, right behind being a worshiper of God and you are married, your role is to be a helpmate to your husband. Then your third role as a married couple is to relate to one another like Christ and the church are supposed to relate to one another and thus bring up children who see Christ and the church being pictured in you and you become missionaries and disciple makers in your own home. Did y'all know that? You say, well, I'm single. Good. Your secondary role is to serve God with everything you got. Another free one, praise God. Tim Wade, where you at? That's another free one for the men, brother. Give me a high five. <laughs> and you want to know why some of us are so cotton-picking miserable? Because what's supposed to be primary and secondary and then following things in our lives, what's supposed to be our highest priorities, get put off to the side. And we work on 75 other things before we get to either one of those. 
And it's no wonder the church has no power and the servant has no power and the family has no power. And we all need to run to Jesus and fall at his feet and say, hey, could you tell me my problem? Now, in closing, man, how can I be closing? I got papers left. (laughs) Something ain't right. Look at this man's reaction in verse 23. Did you guys notice? Did anybody see it? His reaction in verse 23. But when he, the, the rich young ruler, when he heard these things, what's he say, church? Why? Now, y'all sit and say, good, this sermon ain't for me. I ain't rich. We don't went over that. That might not be your problem, but you got one. If you don't know what your problem is, I'll hang out with you for 24 hours, and I guarantee you I can tell you. I ain't know. Anybody remember that rapper said, if you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it? I can't solve it, but I'll sure enough tell you about it. I might even rap to you about it. Uh, chill. I don't know what your problem is, but do you know this man went away sad for one simple reason? Why? Why, church? Because he wouldn't let Jesus deal with the problem. You know, if you read over in Matthew in what we call the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells something about how the family is supposed to relate to one another. If you got something against your brother... Uh, go leave your gift at the altar. I like that. <laughs> that ought to be a tithing sermon. I don't care what your problem is, leave your money him. <laughs> don't get mad. Don't get mad. Leave it. But it does. It says go leave your gift at the altar and go and solve your problem with your brother. Did you know unforgiveness in a church could possibly block revival? Did you know that? And that might be your problem. Some of y'all probably can't even stand to be in the same room together. What a shame on the name of God that the same Jesus which saved us all can't even get us over ourselves long enough to get along. You know I'm right. Some of y'all's problem is just that fellow's problem. You covet so much that your life is about chasing down what you want rather than about receiving what God's got for you. Hmm? And you know what the shame would be away as if anybody... The shame of it all would be, excuse me, would be if somebody went away from this place tonight sad. Now, you might be that person who needs to go home and sweat and cry out to Jesus for three or four days. Okay, laugh at me if you want to, but I've been now. I've been to the place where all I had was Jesus, and I've been to the place where I found out he was enough. From several angles. Busted my knee on a ski retreat with some youth one year. I think it was 2003. I don't really remember. Stayed at the hospital with a good friend of mine had gone on a retreat with us to help me with the young people, and he took me to the hospital. We stayed at the hospital and got back at 3.30 in the morning. We were up at, at uh, Camp Little Crossroads up near, near Amherst, Virginia, beautiful place. And uh, we had to get up at 5 and start cooking breakfast. We had two or three churches together, 50-some teenagers. What a blessing, right? Well, I was sitting over there cooking sausage and bacon.
chicken in these, stir, in these big frying pans, and I had a brace on my knee. I'd busted my ACL for like the 97th time, and, and uh, the chair, I had to sit on the edge just because of the brace, and, and the chair broke, and my hand caught both of those fryers and flipped that grease all over myself. Boy, I was sizzling. They had to cut my clothes off of me and stuff. And I was yelling, not my underwear, not my underwear. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, Brother Herbert. <laughs> and, and, and I love it when I tell this story. People say, what did you say when that grease hit you? I said, ah! <laughs> I, had, I had blisters on my leg at high. You couldn't even tell my fingers apart, especially my right hand. They told me I was going to get a lot of skin grafts and all this stuff. I, I, I couldn't walk because the burns were where that brace was on my leg. It got down and really burned it, and it and it burned blisters so big between my legs that every time I tried to walk, that my busted knee would give way and I'd land on the floor again. They wrapped up my hands. They looked like two big Q-tips. I didn't even think that was funny, y'all. <laughs> I'm telling y'all a tragic story of my life and you're laughing at me. I'm all right. I was going over out of Southeastern, not taking one single student loan, struggling, man. Went from making X amount of dollars an hour to X amount of cents an hour, working for the church, struggling already. And here I am, the medicine I'm putting on these blisters costs $250 a can, and I was going through six a day. No insurance, no nothing. I'm laying over. I said, God, what are you going to do? And you know what happened? I laid down on the couch. Couldn't even, uh, you had to go up the steps to get into the main part of our house. I couldn't go up the steps. I'm an airborne air assault ranger. Jumped out of airplanes and helicopters. My wife is over here bathing me like I'm a baby. That messes with a man. I don't know if y'all get that or not. And I started reading my Bible, and I had to hold it like this, and then big Q-tips. I had to turn the pages with my tongue. And God got so precious to me. God got so precious to me. I laid on that couch and cried, and I said, burn all of me, God. If this is what this leads to, burn all of me. If I got to go through this valley to find you waiting for me down in the lowest part of it and burn all of me. You think Jesus don't know your problem, Jack, you sadly wrong. You bring it to him. You sweat over it. You cry over it. You wonder why your body is going through what it's going through. You wonder why your family is going through what it's going through. Sometimes it's sin, sometimes it's circumstance. But regardless, brothers, regardless, friends, beloved, regardless, He's begging you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You run to Jesus. You crawl to Jesus. You do whatever it takes, but you come to Jesus, and you stay at his feet until he moves. Father God, thank you for everyone under the sound of the word of God. If you've got to take us to the valley to remind us how precious you are, as scared as I am to say it, then take us to the valley.
But Lord, if we'll hear you from the ridges, let us run. Let us run to Jesus. In Christ I pray. Amen. Brother Herbert.